0: Good morning. It's good to see you all this morning. Figured in keeping with Stormwatch 2014, we we talk about floods this morning. Uh, If you have a copy of the scriptures, open it to Genesis chapter 6. If you need a copy, raise your hand and Alex will get it to you. And we're going to start reading chapter 6. Now, The story of the flood, it actually goes from chapter 6 through to chapter 9, really, and I'm going to try and encompass the whole thing, but we can't read it all, but we're going to pull out parts and try and grasp hold of the entirety of what's happening here in this story. So first, let's start in chapter 6, and we'll read verses 1 through 10. When human beings began to increase in number on the earth and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of humans were beautiful and they married any of them they chose. Then the Lord said, my spirit will not contend with humans forever for they are mortal or corrupt. Their days will be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward. When the sons of God went to the daughters of humans and had children by them, they were the heroes of old, men of renown. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on earth and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created and with them the animals and birds and the creatures that move along the ground, for I regret that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. Father, we do ask for insight this morning. Lord, may we not be distracted from the point of this narrative and story. May may we be engaged by what you are trying to communicate to us this morning. And may it have an effect on how we live. May we see what you have done, what you are doing and why you have written this for our sake. And Father, may we be better because of it, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. When it comes to this story of the flood, we are easily distracted by a lot of things. In our Western academic mind, we want to know details. We want to know... Was it a local flood? Was it a worldwide flood? What about the dinosaurs? Were there any unicorns? We want to know those kinds of things that just try and capture our mind about the story, but that is missing the point of what is being said here. Remember, as we've talked about Genesis, Moses is writing this just out of Egypt. The children of Israel are in this time and period of life, and he is looking back, from things that have been written, from oral tradition to what has happened, and he is recounting these things, and he's doing it for a purpose. The story of a flood is not an uncommon story at that time. The Mesopotamians had writings about the flood. The Babylonians, the Sumerians, they all told stories about a flood, about a god wiping out, civilization and you have to think from their point of view the idea of water wiping out civilization and you being near bodies of water could be a terrifying thing there was no google earth oh you are here you couldn't you know go over to this place you just had to okay there's water wonder what happens the nile would rise and flood every so often they know about these things What's happening and why, why is God mad at us? Why is he destroying mankind? Because that was the mindset. These other stories were all about judgment. God is judging the earth. He's judging human beings and it was necessary to appease this God with some kind of offering, some kind of sacrifice so that he would stop and not do this to us. We must have to do something to get right with him. That is a common thought at this time. But now Moses is writing and it's different. Now as Moses starts telling this story, we start having other insight into this God. And it's important to understand that that is at the heart of, of what we're going to be looking at. But because some of you, a lot of you, have asked me about Nephilim and sons of God and are there aliens and where there angels and all these stuff, let me just say no, okay? I know that's not going to satisfy all of you. Remember what we're we're talking about, even as we've been going through the chapters, There, there was this choice that was made by Adam and Eve. There was the choice that was made by Cain killing his brother Abel. There was the choice made by Enoch to walk with God and the others lived and had children and then they died. And we see that Cain's children were very creative. They went out and they started making tents and living in tents and they started making things out of iron. And so we have this structure of these people and what they did. And then we see that there was another son born whose name was Seth, and Seth walked in a way that was pleasing to the Lord. So you had the line of Cain that was kind of making the world as good as they could. You had Seth who was still walking with God, and there is this kind of dichotomy that's taking place. And so when it says that human beings began to increase on the earth, the daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that The daughters of the humans were beautiful. It doesn't mean humans as opposed to aliens. You're putting that in there just to let you know. Or humans as opposed to angels. You're putting that in there. And when it says sons of God, people go, well, in Job it says the sons of God were angels. Yeah, but in the New Testament it says that they are people. In Hosea it says they are people. So you're going to pick and choose. Let's stay with the context of what's being said. We have line of Cain, we have the line of Seth, those sons of God started saying, the girls over there look fine, and paraphrase, uh, and so they started marrying them. We know this this can't be angelic reference because Jesus told us in Matthew 22 that the angels neither marry or are given in marriage, so erase that aspect of there. You know what I think is interesting, and I just want to make this point here, because it happens many times when we look at scriptures, we love the sensational. I mean, the sensational is just, captures us. Have you ever noticed that the history channel has little history on it, that it's kind of, they should call it the mythological channel. I mean, it's just, it has all these different ideas on it, but sometimes it's not actually history. But we love that stuff. And so we want to know about what if there were angelic beings? What if there was another race that came in? Oh, maybe that's what they're referring to. Or Elijah, there was a wheel in a wheel. That's a spaceship. I know that's a spaceship. And, And so we start putting all these things. And we do that with the end times as well. You know, Jesus talked about the end times. And you could probably put it in a few paragraphs, But if you go to the Christian bookstore, there are volumes. We know more about the end times than Jesus did, apparently. (laughs) I am being facetious, okay? I'm not serious. That's not true. But we want to talk about those things. And yet Jesus says, it's not for you to know the times that the Father has put in his own care. You have other things you should think about. There are other things you need to concentrate on and focus on. You see, I've never had a couple come to me for marriage counseling and say, we've got some real problems. Okay, what's going on? Well, I'm just not sure you know, if it's going to be a pre- or post-trib rapture, and she's certain that it's going to be this, and we're just in disarray because of it. I, I never get those kinds of appointments, no one ever comes to me and says, you know, yeah, me and my wife, we just can't work things out because she thinks that the sons of God is referring to angels, and I just don't see it. I'm, I'm with you, pastor. <laughs> that's not the problem, and that's not the point of this story. At this time when people see God as distant having to be appeased, we start seeing that God actually cares. And so in this story, Moses gives God these very human traits. It grieved him. He was sorry that he'd made man. And you think, well, can God be sorry? He's trying to convey a point. He's using this to help us understand what is taking place. And then the Lord remembered Noah, it'll say in chapter What, did he forget him? God was sorry. What are all these things? They're trying to convey an emotion and a clarity so that we people could understand the heart of God. In fact, this starts off with the heart of human beings. They're, they're wicked, that they're thinking things, that they're doing wicked things throughout their lives continually. And, and so it starts with the human beings and the wickedness of their heart. And then it says that God's heart was deeply wicked. And so he says that he's going to limit men's life. He, he regrets that he's made them. And so he's going to limit their life so that they don't live so old. He's going to wipe them off the face of the earth and you have to ask yourself, why? Why is, going to, why is God going to do this? Why does he have to do this? And we can tend to go, gosh, that's very cruel of God to wipe out mankind and to limit men's lives so that they don't live as long. How, how cruel is that? But what we really get from the picture is God is trying to shorten man's potential for evil. He's bringing an end, not just to men, but to the evil that is going on. And so we don't get into detail of all the evil that is going on at the time, but we see that it comes to a point where God says, enough. Enough. I need to stop this so that it doesn't continue in this vein. And so what we normally would see as an act that is just harsh and difficult, it's actually beginning with the earth is corrupt. It's filled with violence. God is grieved at what we did with what he has given. He's grieved over what we did with our potential, with our resources, with our freedom. He is hurt by the choices that man has made and he sees these choices escalating and becoming worse and worse and so he stops it. He says, I need to slow this down. I, I, I'm not removing all of humanity because there was one who is righteous in God's eyes. There was one he saw And shouldn't God be upset with evil that takes place? Don't we want God to intervene when there is wickedness? And so really God is doing something that we would want to do, but he's not doing it necessarily how we would think. I mean, the easiest way to stop the evil in the world today is to get rid of people right? But who's for that choice? (laughs) Stay away from her. Don't eat her sandwiches, okay? (laughs) That's the easiest solution is just get rid of humanity. But that's not what God wants to do. And so now you see the, the heart of God caring for people and caring about the choices that they make and being grieved because of that. How many parents can stand back and say they are sorry for the choices that their children made? They weren't your choices, but you're sorry for them. Why? They hurt your heart because you care for them. So uh, this is actually the opposite of it, meaning God doesn't care. It means that God cares so much that he's actually touched by this. And you see, this is a totally different mindset from that of this time that thinks that God is out there, God is bringing judgment, you got to appease God, otherwise he's going to kill you. No, this is a God who actually cares about you and is trying to stop the evil that is taking place. And it's totally different perspective. And this is mind-blowing to the people at this time. This is beyond what they have thought before. This is an introduction to a God who is different from the gods that they have heard before. A God who actually cares, uh, actually feels for them and the good and the wrong that they do. And so this is introducing something totally different to them. And as they see God doing these things and working, they're starting to understand a little bit more about this God who has created them. Remember, this is origins. This is helping us to understand how God did things. And and God is constantly working and doing things. And so the the story is very arranged very distinctly. It has definite structure. It has the beginning, the contrast, the condition of man's heart, where it was evil and wicked. And we see at the end, towards the end in chapter 8, verse 21, it says that God said to his heart, I will not do this again. here's man's heart here's god's heart and so we see this contrast between what men are doing and what god is wanting to see done and god is telling us what's in his heart so that we can know him and then know how to walk with him that's the point is to understand that god cares about wickedness and this is how god acts so now that you know, how should you act? I'm not real sharp. Sometimes I'm pretty dense when it comes to things with my wife, and she'll she'll drop hints. And most of us guys, I'm just telling you ladies, aren't good at hints. Okay. I I want tell me. Tell me you don't like the shirt. Just tell me. Because it's a comfortable shirt, I wear it. Oh, are you gonna wear that shirt? Yeah. I set my shirt out and then all of a sudden I see there's another one in its place. <laughs> huh, what happened to my shirt? And I just don't get it because I'm not on the ball, but if I were to know what's going on, she would say to me that shirt isn't becoming. <laughs> she she would say, you know, that that's not the best shirt that's you know, old, it's tattered, it's got a stain, but it's my favorite shirt. The coffee reminds me of that time. You know, it, it's. It, if I were to cue in on what she is saying, I could pick up on things. Those little words that give us a subtle understanding. Well, well, here God is giving us some insight into his heart so that we can know him. Amazing. Just amazing. God cares. He's grieved. He he hurts. He's sorry. He's telling you so that you can know him. Remember, I, I told you at the beginning, this is a love story. And if we lose that frame of mind, we will miss the heart and we'll be worrying about angels and aliens and who knows what instead of hearing the heart of God trying to connect to humanity and doing things to stop the evil of humanity, not because God is against us, but because God is trying to stop us from destroying ourselves. And so we see this story, the man's heart and God's heart, and in the middle we have this, and God remembers Noah. And that takes place in chapter 8, verse 1. Remembered, again, it's said from a human point of view. The whole story is from a human point of view. He was sorry. And that's why God's words and actions look so human, so ungodlike, so unusual, especially for this period of time. And again, there is a, a genealogy of men that takes place like we talked about last time with Enoch. There are some who go this route and then there are the ones who stand out and here the one who stands out is Noah. Noah was right before the Lord. He did the things that pleased the Lord. He stood out, even though everyone else was living this way, Noah stood out and lived this way. And again, the challenge is for us, how are we going to live because our genealogies are continuing, like we talked about last week. How are we going to stand on the shoulders of those behind us? And what is going to be in front of us? What is the legacy that we're going to leave behind? And even though the scriptures are just getting started, I mean, we're only in chapter 6 through 9, there's this repetition going on. Are you catching it? The, this choice, Adam, Eve, the trees, Cain, Abel. Enoch walking with God, the others living, dying. There, there is this change that's taking place, the genealogies, the directions the, that humans can go are those who can walk with God. The, the scriptures seem to be telling us, and this is at the heart of Genesis, and this is, I believe, at the heart of all scripture, that the scriptures are telling us, beware of the freedom that is yours. Be careful with the freedom that you have. We want our freedom. Yes, I'm free. No one's going to tell me what to do. But we're not free from the consequences of the things that we do. We don't like that. I want to do whatever I want to do. I don't want to have to pay for it. I don't want to have to answer for my decision. I just want to have freedom. Well, with the freedom comes the responsibility. And it seems like God is telling us over and over, be careful of the freedom that is given to you. Because again, the most spiritual thing that a human being can do is choose. And this is at the heart of this story as it's been at the heart of the other stories. This then is the question in Noah's day. Which way will mankind go? The righteous, blameless path, walking with God, finding his favor? Or will its heart choose evil, corruption, violence? The flood is God's answer to the choices that man made. We don't want to be responsible. And when God steps in and says, no, there is judgment, we complain but God's judgment is because of the choices that are being made. The flood is an answer to the choices that have been made. It's not just arbitrary God sending out this judgment. It's because of what you have done. And again, this is giving insight to the humanity, if you would, of God. The heart of Of God, that God cares about you, about people. Even though He is spirit, even though He is great, He cares and knows. And and so that's where the story is going, that's what it's telling us. In chapter 8, we see God remembered Noah. And all the wild animals and the livestock that were with him in the ark. And he sent a wind over the earth and the waters receded. Now the spring of the deeps and the floodgates of the heavens had been closed and the rain had stopped falling from the sky. The water receded steadily from the earth. At the end of 150 days, the water had gone down. And on the seventh day of the seventh month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. The waters continued to recede until the 10th month. On the first day of the 10th month, the tops of the mountains became visible. After 40 days, Noah opened a window he had made in the ark and sent out a raven. And it kept flying back and forth until the water had dried up from the earth. Then he sent out a dove to see if the water had receded from the surface of the ground. But the dove could find nowhere to perch because there was water all over the surface of the earth. So it returned to Noah in the ark. He reached out his hand and took the dove and brought it back to himself in the ark. He waited seven more days and again sent out the dove from the ark. When the dove returned to him in the evening, there in its beak was a freshly plucked olive leaf. Then Noah knew that the water had receded from the earth. He waited seven more days and sent the dove out again, but this time it did not return. Verse 15, jump down, it says, Then God said to Noah, Come out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your wives. Bring out every kind of living creature that is with you, the birds, the animals, and all the creatures that move along the ground so that they can multiply on the earth and be fruitful and increase in number on it. So Noah came out together with his sons and his wife and his sons' wives. All the animals, all the creatures that move along the ground and all the birds, everything that moves on the land came out of the ark one after another. Then Noah built an altar To the Lord. And taking some of the clean animals and clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, Never again will I curse the ground because of humans, even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. And never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night. Will never cease. And so, the story about humankind and the freedom that's given we we can either fly away and not return to God like the raven, or we can be like the dove and return and and come back. Noah would then build an, an altar and he would sacrifice, and this would become a center for the Israel tradition of offering to the God, of recognition of what God has done in the life that he has provided for. But we need to recognize that it is our choice how we will respond to the life that we're living, the world that we are in. It's important that we recognize that we have a responsibility to what is happening in our lives and to the world around us. And in these flood stories that were spread throughout that time, the, the judgment of God and the destruction that would take place, that the gods in a sense are angry with mankind. It was believed that the flood was their way of clearing the deck. And we we kind of get that insight here, but we again see that this God is actually sorry, not mad. He He's grieved. He, he's hurt. And something interesting happens at the end of this story in chapter 9. As it starts to continue, he says, Then God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, Be fruitful and increase in number, and fill the earth. The fear of the dread of you will fall on the beasts of the earth and on all the birds in the sky, on every creature that moves along the ground and on the fish in the sea. They are given into your hands. Everything that lives and moves about will be for food. Just as I gave you the green plants, I now give you everything. But you must not eat meat that has its lifeblood still in it. And for your lifeblood, I will surely demand an accounting. I will demand an accounting from every animal and from each human being too. I will demand an accounting for the life of another human being. God is separating the importance of human beings and now animals are food. Whoever sheds human blood, verse 6, by human shall their blood be shed. For in the image of God has God made mankind jump down to verse 12 and god said this is the sign of the covenant i am making between me and you and every living creature with you a covenant for all generations to come i've set my rainbow in the clouds and it will be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all the living creatures of every kind on the earth. This God brings a rainbow a promise and a covenant a covenant between god and people you see a covenant is a bond is an agreement now god is making an agreement and a bond with men where did this come from? What kind of God makes a bond with people? And this covenant now becomes the theme throughout scripture. God's covenant with Israel. We have the old covenant or Testament. And then Jesus comes and he says, a new covenant I am bringing to you. It's the same God making this agreement, keeping his part of the deal with men throughout the ages. God makes a covenant, this agreement, an oath, a relationship, a bond between the two beings with each other. This isn't how the other flood stories ended. In those stories, God was angry, everyone dies, and God is satisfied, end of story. In this story, God is grieved, people die, and then God makes a covenant. And so instead of God being further away, God reaches closer. Instead of God being distant, God wants to be near and he wants to be engaged, and he wants to be involved, and he wants to make an agreement with you, with me, with mankind. He says, I I want to make agreement. Here's my word to you. I will not destroy the earth with water again. I'm going to shorten man's lifespan so his evil will not multiply and continue. I've stopped what I can, but I'm making a deal with you. I'm not going to do that again. And then we see the covenant goes even further in the person of Jesus where God became man and walked among us, got even closer, and we beheld his glory, the only begotten, full of truth. And God is reaching even closer and saying, I'm going to make a deal. I will take care of your Brokenness. I will take care of your sin. I will take care of your inability. And I will cover your debt. What God is this? That cares in this way. This story is about a God who wants to relate a God who wants to save, a God who wants to live in agreement, in covenant. This story is about a new view of God, not a God who wants to wipe people out, but a God who wants to live in relationship. So it's a primitive story, but it's new. It's ancient, but there's something new that's taking place here. And again, the people would be very aware of it. You know, it's amazing. Why is this story so popular? You know, there's the animals. You go into the stores, and they have the cute little arcs, you know, and it all looks nice. <laughs> well, this is really kind of a dark story. There's a lot of people who died in this. There's Russell Crowe in the movie. Have you seen that? It looks cool. Why is there such a fascination? There, There is the catastrophe, the, the calamity, a catastrophe, catastrophic event of a world ending, but in the middle of that, there is salvation. In the middle of that, there is the safety that is there in the ark of a God who who cares enough to intervene and provide this kind of escape. And I think that brings security to us. You know, what's wonderful about the rain is being inside and hearing it. Having a fire going. And even if the power goes out and you have candlelights, just to know that you're sheltered and safe. I think this story is so welcomed and it touches because of that element. It has the idea of, even when the flood comes and even when it seems like the world is ending, there is a God who cares enough to save. There is a God who, who reaches out and rescues. And we all need rescuing. We all need that. We all need to be delivered. Even in the midst of this, even when all these things that are happening, the purpose of the covenant is to strengthen trust, to to give assurance. It is a guarantee. It is a tangible evidence of a promise. A a covenant creates a bond between parties involved, some sort of physical evidence, if you would, uh, of the agreement. And so think of this new covenant, the bread and the wine. We have a rainbow. That was a covenant. God said, I'm not going to do this. And then Jesus says, I'm going to give you a new covenant. It's going to be bread and it's going to be wine and it's going to be a reminder to you and a reminder to me of how much I really do care. How much I am involved with you. How much I am willing to put on the line for you. That I'm all in, I'm not distant. When you think, oh God, you're not there. I just don't sense you. I just don't feel you. How can this evil happen? How can these things happen? And know that God's heart breaks just like yours and that God is doing all that he can not to wipe us all out again. In fact, he is going to do more. He is going to come and take the penalty of all that sin. And so now instead of there just being the possibility of one righteous, there is the possibility of all us being righteous in him. There is the possibility of all us making the choice and now him giving that life, that covenant to us through the person of Jesus. The covenant is now fulfilled completely in the person of Christ and it draws us nearer to God than we could have ever dreamed, than we could have ever imagined. The people at this time when Moses was writing this, heard this story and They said, I never thought God would be so near. I never thought he could care so much. And then Jesus comes and says, you haven't seen anything. You don't know the depths of my love. You don't know how much I care. You cannot measure it. I will give my life for you. That is my commitment to you. And so God has put his cards on the table. He said, this is who I am. This is how much I care. This is what I am willing to do. But remember, a covenant, it's between two people. It's not just God's covenant. It's ours as well. And that's why our choices matter. And that's why humanity matters and the choices they make god hasn't set things in motion and said well i choose you i choose you yeah, no, not this time buddy sorry i choose you i choose you god says i choose you will you choose me because the covenant is not complete if someone breaks it god is not breaking his promise Now the responsibility falls upon us. Will we remember? For there to be a rainbow, there has to be rain. There has to be the water, there has to be the cold, and then the sunlight. This would be a great place for Noah's story to end, just between this coldness and God's promise. But there are still choices to be made there is still a covenant to keep. And so when we look at the story of Noah, what we should be seeing is a God who cared enough to try and stop the evil that was going on. A God who cared enough to rescue a person who wasn't evil. And it reminds us of Abraham later on. Will you destroy the righteous with the wicked God? What if there's 50 Will you destroy 50? God, forgive me, how about 40? How about 30? How about 20? And we get the understanding, even in Noah, that God will not destroy the righteous with the wicked. That God will not do that. And so, God rescues the world, but he does it through a man you see, just as God delivered mankind and rescued them and gave a new birth, now there's going to be this new covenant that God is making. the world was also saved by a man, one who was righteous, who walked before the Lord and did was pleasing in his eyes. If Noah wasn't there, we wouldn't be there, and just as God used a man, God is using us today. God is using people to bring about the restoration of love, the understanding the kingdom of God is being built through his people. And if the work of God is going to take place, it is going to take place through the people who make the choices to honor him and live for him. The choice is ours. Let's pray. Father, it's so easy to get sidetracked from stories that we've heard over and over again. It's so easy to get caught up in questions that may satisfy us academically, but don't capture what is really being conveyed. And so, Lord, may we not lose sight of of what is taking place. And it's okay to ask those questions. It's okay to, to wonder, but may we recognize, Lord, that this story began not because God did something. Not because you wanted to act. Lord, this story began because men did something. They lived wicked. The story took place because of what we did. And in turn, what you did was draw closer to us. Lord, wherever we're at right now and all the things that we are going through in our lives, the, the difficulties, the struggles, the hurts, Father, the hardship, the the addictions, the behavior that is just destroying us, Lord, may we see that you are the God who makes an agreement, who comes and stands by us and says, I will make a deal with you. I will be your God. Will you be my people? I will give my life to you. Will you give your life? To me, Lord, may we honor your agreement and recognize that you are nearer than we dare imagine, that you are closer than we could fathom, and that you love more deeply than we understand. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man the things that you have for those who love you. Thank you for revealing yourself in this story. Thank you, Lord, for revealing yourself through Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.